Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. everyone and welcome to the front line with joe resinello and once again dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic network 1350 on your am dial 1035 on your fm dial serving the new york metropolitan area please be sure to download the veritas catholic network mobile app so that you can have access to all our station's content and today we are pleased and honored to have back on the show frank cronin he's a good friend coming at us from tennessee the great state of tennessee uh, we'll give everyone a little bio on Frank. Frank studied at Harvard University, University of Connecticut, as well as Columbia University. He studied theology at Regent University and Holy Apostles College and Seminary. That means he's pretty smart. That's that's for sure. Uh, he's written regularly at the National Catholic Register, the Catholic World Report, and Catholic Exchange. He's appeared on EWTM, and he also has a great book out there, which is published by Sophia Press, which is entitled The Whole Truth About Living Life and Living. We've had him on to discuss that. You can look that up on the web. It was a great conversation. Frank, welcome back to the front line. Great to be back, Joe. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. You're our people, Frank. You're just like us. You're a regular guy. I love it. Even though you went to Harvard. We didn't go to Harvard, but you're a regular guy. But I'm a Bronx guy, so. That's right. That's right. Uh, Frank, we always start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Frank, let's jump right into it. Uh, for the question of God's existence, you state it's it's not a matter of belief. It's always and will be always a matter of fact first before it can be a matter of belief. How so? Please elaborate on that idea. Well, there's a couple of trajectories you can take to that. For one, the whole Catholic way of looking at human nature is based on, on reason preceding belief, right? Belief is a matter of will. And the whole point of that is, is that we have to have our facts right before we believe, which is a fundamental law of logic and reason. And that's, that's our whole perspective on knowing. So the idea that we think, we, we think of God as somebody we believe in, but God has to exist. Our belief doesn't create God. So God's existence has to be a fundamental fact of existence of the universe and so on and then from there because we know the facts we can believe let me let me ask you this though um obviously people believe in god outside of the catholic faith protestants mm -hmm. believe in god you know it's sure. the same god they just don't have the fullness of truth so many catholics you said we have to get our facts right and i would agree with that um but they don't have their facts right. I mean, we're an ill-catechized church right now. I mean, I'm not a, a church historian. I don't know how 
now kind of plays upon how the church, you would probably know that a lot more than I, but um, like for those who don't have their facts right, what the church teaches, uh, how do they have a clear vision of God using that well, logic? Well, I mean, you can, you can come to some of this intuitively. You can some, come to some of it logically. You can even attribute it to Catholic tradition, which is kind of downstream from fact. But uh, I think your point about uh, incomplete or ill-catechized Catholics, I mean, that's one of the things I saw as an evangelical Protestant. Our Sundays were an hour and a half in Sunday school, a 15-minute break, and then an hour to an hour and a half in hearing today's sermon. So they took catechesis, even though they wouldn't call it that, they took that very, uh, very importantly and dedicated a lot of time for the for most Catholics that I've seen, or many of them, you know, they're in for the 58 minutes for Mass, and they're out, and, and they don't really do much beyond that, even though, oddly enough, and this is one of those great kind of contradictions of things, many of them are ill-catechized, and all of our stuff is written down. Like, we have the catechism, we have the early church fathers, I mean, we have access to to all the doctrinal statements of the church from its beginning. And so our stuff is very well documented, but no one seems to go there, even if they just were to read the catechism alone. People don't read that. I, I, I agree with you. And I'll tell you, I taught adult classes at uh, in a Catholic church during Lent. My one pastor used to ask me to do a series, you know, small, small group type of thing. Sure. I think we could do better. Like, because sadly, I mean, I went to Catholic school um, and Catholic college and Catholic graduate school. Frank, I came out of that. I didn't know how to pray the rosary. I mean, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, uh, here's another thing. I didn't even know what adoration was. How is that possible? Now, I got a lot of other things out of it. I'm not going to, you know, bash my education because it was it was good, you know, grounded. Um <laughs> But we could do better. And I think to your point, we have to know who God is. It's like anything. If you're going to buy a car, you got to know what you're buying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before you believe in them. Right. And and I think this is where, you know, sometimes the clergy doesn't emphasize it enough. They're, they kind of get into a minimalistic approach, which is, you know, we just need you to go to church, go up for mass on Sunday, and that's it. And and unless you're, you're kind of interested yourself, you don't go anywhere. There's nobody compelling you. Now, for me, I was fortunate because I, I, for a while I became a Protestant after being an atheist, and then I was introduced to the Catholic faith by my Catholic secretary, even though I have a background in the Catholic thing. What I came back to wasn't what I thought I was leaving when I left. It was it was that big of a, a difference. And and how I knew that was she put me in touch with this uh this book called uh, Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn. And in four sentences, I mean, it was a nice little story about him and his wife and whatever. But what was really critical for me was he had four sentences in the middle of this where he decimated the epistemology of Protestantism. That means their theory of knowledge. If it's only scripture and scripture never says only, you don't have a you don't have a way of looking at how to get to truth. And so that uh, that logical contradiction upon which Protestant is based really caught my attention. And from there, I started drilling down because now I was hungry. And and because I wasn't a, a, a kind of like a momentum Catholic, I was a new Catholic, even though 
coming from an old, you know, my childhood kind of like yours. I went Catholic elementary school, Catholic uh, high school, and one year in Catholic college. And what I walked away from was like nothing, nothing even remotely like what I come back to. Back to, uh, you know, the Catholic faith is so rich and wide and deep, and it's just there for the taking. But you have to know, know where where to look, and you have to be willing to to spend the time digging into it. It's like, okay, so this is what you believe. Why? And the Catholics are great about that. They, doctrinally, you can't get better and more comprehensive doctrine than we have. It's just incredible. I would ab- I would absolutely believe in you. I believe that, you know, because I've done the same thing. I've done a lot of reading on my own. And ultimately, when you start doing that, your eyes open. But sadly, I think a lot of, you know, agnostics and atheists, they point to basically science. And they basically think that science is the only way to know something. Why are they wrong? And let's break down, like, the method that people use with regard to knowing something through science, which oddly enough, was created by the Catholic Church, the scientific method. But like, we can go into that, too. Well, I mean, the funny part of a lot of that, especially when I talk to agnostics or atheists, is, is they will resort to science and appeal to science. But what they don't understand about science is that isn't a way of looking at it. That's a derivative way of looking at things. In other words, what we do is we apply our reason, our rational pow- powers and abilities and laws to the behavior and nature of the physical universe. That's what science is. So it isn't like science is the way of knowing. Science is a derivative way of knowing based on reason. So reason exists prior to science. You can't even develop a hypothesis without appealing to reason. right? Even the fact that you know you have to have evidence to believe is logic. That's reason. That's a fundamental principle of how our minds work. And it just so happens to be an intangible order. Now, where do you go for intangible orders? How do you get an intangible order that that's, that's that pervasive and that ubiquitous out there in science, in everything we do day to day? We're constantly using our reason to understand things. For example, looking at an agnostic, their fundamental problem is evidence. They know they need evidence. Well, that's an evidence. That particular need for evidence is a rational necessity that's based on an intangible order of how we think. And that's crucial because you don't get intangible orders in a mechanistic physical universe. That intangible order was put there and it could only be sourced back to God, right? We use reason in math in science, in logic, and deduction, that's that's the game. I mean, that to me is the fundamental, the fundamental way to know that God exists is the fact that we know we need evidence. What it is, I think if you try to explain to an agnostic or, say, an atheist that just what you said, it's impossible to have science without reason. And if you lay that out, that could be a building block. Do you think that's an approach? Well, I think it's it's in a place you go now that you know often oftentimes people, particularly agnostics and atheists, they would like you to believe they're just being logical. But once you begin to get inside their their kitchen a little bit, it becomes more uh, you know sometimes you get more reactionary kind of things like uh, they begin to fault you for the moral inconsistencies of the of the church or church leaders or whatever. and and you know, 
And they will do that without kind of explaining, well, where'd you get the morality? They're, for, they're forever using, um, I wrote an article a few years back called Shoplifting Atheists, and they're forever using tools they haven't paid for intellectually, right? Um, like, for example, reason. Okay, so you're going to use reason in all of your science. You have to explain that. You don't just get to use it. Uh, the same way with about the existence of God. If if there's there's intangible order in the universe, you have to explain what that is and how that got there. And and that's the part they don't do. Most of the agnostics are using tools they haven't paid for intellectually. They're going to use reason and say, well, okay, you know, science can't prove God. Well, well nobody, no Catholic, no Protestant even has ever asserted that you could see God other than Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it's like, why would you expect to be able to see him? We've, we've said this from the beginning, that God is immaterial until he became material when Jesus came here. So uh, to me, the logic is pretty straightforward. If you if you know you need evidence, that's an example of, of logical imperatives you're working with. I can't believe this without evidence. Well, that's good. That's right. Where, how come you know that? Where does that come from? You know, I think those questions are logical, but I'll tell you what, I think a lot of people who say that they're atheists, I mean, like they say, there's no atheists in foxholes. I mean, when people are dying, you know, a lot of times people have a change of heart, right. yeah. uh, you know, but even agnostics or lukewarm Catholics, those questions corner people because i've gotten into those type of conversations with people they either walk away really angry or they just frankly they have nothing to say like i i can remember getting into a discussion with the salutatorian of my high school he an incredibly intelligent guy and i mean i'm not I'm not him, but I'm not a dumb guy, but he's significantly smarter than me. And I'll be honest with you, I was never, I was like, to be honest, you, never afraid to have a conversation with him because I have the truth. I would just corner him like a trapped animal. He would have nothing to say. I mean, that's not the way to win someone into the church. But what I am saying is ultimately your type of conversation and your type of like line of questioning, I think people are afraid to go there because they put up a wall it's it's basically not that they don't necessarily believe in god they don't want to believe in god because ultimately god puts stuff in front of you that you have to either change or do and all of a sudden now i'm like i don't want to be that guy so what do you what are your thoughts on that well i think uh in some measure you play the long game you know like to have that conversation and and be willing to not want to close the deal in the moment you're having the conversation you know, it's kind of, you know, spread the seeds around, you know, let them ruminate on that rather than push it. It's like, look, I'm not looking for you to make the decision today, but you really need to think about this. And by doing that, I think at least I've found in, with people I've had to talk to, you take down the kind of like the balance of the whole conversation because there's no pressure. This is not something you rush into. You need to think that through. Where did reason come from? How do you explain the existence of this incredible, intangible order to thinking that informs science, that informs mathematics, and informs daily living? You need to kind of work through that. And and I think playing the longer game tends to bring it around because now, rather than forcing them to see you can believe and go for the win, you just 
pushing it back on him and saying, you need to explain this. I know you you have this whole idea that God, God's existence, if you can't see it physically or demonstrated scientifically, it doesn't work. Well, let me show you how that doesn't work. Now, you explain to me where a reason comes from. And just work that through. Because if all we are is biochemistry, right? If all there is is matter, energy, time, and space, we can't even know that all we are is biochemistry. Because every bit of knowledge in every part of our human consciousness is merely just neural firings in our head. And, and the guy who, there was a guy in the 1940s, uh, Hal Dane, a scientist, an evolutionary biologist who stated it this way, if all I am is biochemistry, I have no way of knowing that all I am is biochemistry. So knowing the totality of knowing is based on the fact that there's something other than our neural firings. That's the game. And, and I think leaving that with, for people to analyze, critique, and, and reflect on that in the longer game, I think works better. In your recent article, you talk about, with regard to agnostics, uh, the scientific double downers. I love that. And also, you have another category, prejudicial agnostics. Who are these two groups, and uh, what are they all about? Well, the double downers, those are the guys that just keep trying to throw more science at you. And, and, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of material out there for your listeners. There's a, a video uh, that was done by, I think, uh, Father Spitzer called Cosmic Origins. And this is, there's interviews with uh, high-level scientists who say, like, for example, the Big Bang. Well, something had to bang. Where did that come from? Right? We know that. Okay, so we're going to buy Big Bang uh, cosmology. That's where it comes from. So the scientific guys want to try and give you more science when they haven't explained the very nature of science. So that's the double down. They just give you more. Well, what about this? What about uh, quantum mechanics? And what about the tuning of the universe? Okay, we can go those places. But you still haven't answered the very idea of science. The prejudicial ones guys that that they know they're backed into a corner to use your uh, expression there um and so what they do is they lash out in other ways and they'll fault the, the church or christians for a variety of moral lapses and whatever not uh, again they're using tools they haven't paid for you're, you're going to critique us based on moral absolutes or moral principles when when you you, you can't even establish where moral principles might come from, forget about it, everything else. You, so you're going to get upset with us for breaking the rules of our faith when that kind of sin is just part and parcel of this whole thing. That's what Jesus' redemptive mission was about, was to, to fix that problem. Um, and so those, the prejudicial guys, those are the guys that will just lash out in, in other places, fault you for the things you've done as opposed to like, well, okay, so let's talk about the things I've done and let's see what principle that violates. Was I was I not loving and kind? Did I give you kind of a smart aleck answer or whatever? I'm a New Yorker. That shouldn't surprise you on one level. On another level, like you may have a point, but notice what you're doing. You're appealing to a moral standard that you see as universal and very applicable to me and to you as well. So that's the, that's the distinction there. The guys that give you more science and the guys that just... just you also state, right? which I thought was really interesting, actually, and I'm actually interested in, in, in what you mean by this. You say that agnostics deny the inevitable 
implications of the reliance on scientific materialism and all that implies and means. What do you mean by that? They, I'm sorry, I missed that. Word. They deny it or? They deny the inevitable implications of the reliance on scientific materialism. Well, I mean, that's pretty straightforward kind of thing. If all we are is biochemistry, our consciousness is just a phenomenon, epiphenomena of our biochemistry. The only real reality based on their idea, there is no God. All there is is matter, energy, time, and space. That our consciousness then has to be just a byproduct of biochemical whatever, and they don't see that. When they, when they make that case, they've dismissed science and they've dismissed rationality because both of those things are neural functions. And if all we are is neural functions, the content of those neural functions is a mirage, an illusion we experience, but it has no real reality because the only real reality is the biochemical, right? Your neurons, that's all your reality is. So when you go home, if you're an atheist or an agnostic and you hug your wife, really, you're just a pile of biochemistry hugging Another pile of biochemistry and the illusion of love is actually just a, a an illusion or a mirage generated by your neural your neural activity. There's no real reality there. That's all it is. And most of those guys would recoil at that if that's the the reality they're buying into. And many atheists and agnostics don't have them. They don't drill down enough on what they're really saying. Well, I would agree because ultimately, like, you can't, like, scientifically point to love, but it's real. I mean, when you're in love, you know it. And, I mean, even if someone says, I don't believe in God, you'd say, well, have you ever been in love? Yes. Uh, how does science prove that necessarily? I mean, right. there's a disconnect there. You know what I mean? Right. But it's real. I mean, love is real. I mean, when you're in love, you know it. Right. And but then where they'll go with that is they kind of, well, that's my experience. There's no real reality. That's the, that's that relativism that kind of rears its head. And, and I think your, your point's valid. You just press them more and say, well, all that's biochemical. There's really no reality to that. Despite the fact that it feels real, at least according to you and your atheistic perspective, the only way that love can become real is if there's some react, some reality real reality and truth in our intangible experiences like groups like love you know ultimately though again i think these are very logical and linear conversations i think they freak people out because truthfully i think when we have these conversations i don't know how one cannot point towards god really i mean i, I can remember going to a talk by a, a very good jesuit um, and he talked about God without ever using the word God. That's sort of how, uh, what's it called? Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas would argue about God. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you walk away from that conversation without at least thinking. But I think it's the thinking, again, going back to what I said earlier, that scares people. One thing that Francis, one of many things actually that Francis, Pope Francis has said, you're never going to argue anyone into the church. You talk about dropping seeds. I think that's important. Too much of, I think, what goes on, and I'm guilty of it as well, and I sometimes have to step back from it, we're not going to argue someone in the church. We could plant seeds, like you say, and then they have to resonate. And ultimately, it's a decision. It's an encounter with a person. 
ultimately many times it's wounds. People have wounds and then they just layer over them with rational thinking, like they rationalize them away. Uh, they don't want to face reality. How many people, Frank, live in our world? They, they don't live in reality. They live in some, you know, idea in their head. And it's not God. They rationalize their life away. Ultimately, how do those seeds connect? Like, it's grace. Am I correct? Well, I mean, everything is grace. Our existence is grace. So there's no question of of the pervasive and fundamental nature of grace to everything we are. The, the fact that the world exists, that we're alive, well, all of that's grace. On the other hand, um, rationalization is different than rational thought. People rationalize a lot of things so that they can avoid it or explain it or keep things in, in the, the comfortable little pockets they have for framing up reality. Uh, as opposed to rational deduction, this is the Thomas Aquinas thing of deduction and induction, that's a different game. Now you're playing inside that. You're not using your rational powers to make life look the way you want it to look. You're using your rational powers to get down to the very nature of what it is. Um, this is where, uh, while Pope Francis would say you do spread seeds, and, that's the, and I think you absolutely do, there's some, the idea of, Persuading someone sometimes is based on reason and logic. I mean, uh, there was an old, I think it's Franciscan, um, I forget how it goes, but uh, it's important to preach the gospel, that's what it is, preach the gospel all the time. When necessary, use words, right? So it's a matter of being, and that has a certain wisdom. But in our day and age, he was talking back in those days to European Christendom. We're not talking to that anymore. And so we have to bring it up. Um, again, being astute interpersonally and knowing what's a good time, what's a good person, how do you play that game, that, that's an art form. On the other hand, uh, it is still important to persuade them with the truth. And while you could be a good person, they're going to interpret that through their lens, whether they're, they have a conscious, deliberate sense of God or just have confined religion to the periphery of their existence. So that's that's kind of the game. Uh, for example, I go to a thing at the local cigar club with a bunch of Protestants. I'm the only Catholic guy there. I'm playing the long game. Uh, that's just the game. Uh, and a couple of the guys are kind of leaning that way. That, when it comes up, for example, when we're talking about scripture, it's like it's something as silly as what book in the Bible are we going to study next week? I'm always, uh, always suggesting Second Maccabees um, because that's the one of the books Martin Luther threw out, and everybody has a good laugh. But, but the logic of it is difficult for them. They they know about invincible ignorance now. They know about venial and mortal sins now. They know about how purgatory actually works now. So I'll play the long game. I don't have to be the closer, but I'm there and I'm spreading those seeds. And sometimes it is an argument. You know, sometimes this making the case, for, not necessarily an argument, but building the case for why these things are so, why this is the way it has to be or has been since the beginning. 
Frank, we're going to take a break. I, I want to explore that a little bit on the other side, because I used to, a friend of mine left the Catholic Church, and uh, he used to go to like a non-denominational brethren, you know, church. They'd have yeah, their yeah. Bible studies, and I would go. He's like, do you want to go? I was like, sure. And my goal, I was the only Catholic, and I liked the guys, and I think they grew to like me as well. But um, it's just that. You have to challenge people because there's misconceptions. I want to talk about that on the other side. Uh Let's take a break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe Resinell on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.5 on your FM dial, serving the metropolitan New York area. We'll be back in a few minutes. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Uh, we are talking to Frank Moore. We're having a great conversation about agnostics and about atheists and how we're going to basically convince them or better better put throw some seeds in front of them and god will convince them frank let's talk about that cigar club that you go to a little bit i like that i think people have to get out of the boat a little bit that's a brave thing to do you have to be confident in yourself um i mentioned on the other side like you know i used to do that similarly but i was pretty like as you are if not more a lot more than me actually formed but you go if you have that knowledge um, of the church. You have those answers. It's so important to do that and also to be a friend. Mike Aquilina says this. We've had him on the show a number of time, times, and I think this is authentic ecumenicalism. It's just friendship and to agree to disagree. We just don't know how to do that anymore. Like, I'm sure in that cigar club, there's times that people may just be like, listen, I don't agree with you on purgatory. There is no purgatory. And we're not getting anywhere. You could just be like, okay, let's agree to disagree. I'm still your friend. Talk right. about the need for that because people don't do that anymore. I mean, everyone then walks away. Everyone's mad. Everyone hates each uh, other. Yeah. No, we could just be friends. You don't believe in purgatory. I do. I threw it out there. I defined it. Let God take care of the rest. Well, and and I, I think because it's at the cigar club, there's already bridges to them as human beings and a, a way of us relationally being connected despite our religious differences, because we're all there smoking cigars and hanging out. Uh, I mean, it isn't like a, a Bible study where we bring cigars. It's a cigar place where we have a Bible study. And, and I think that matters. Um, you know, and in the end, we can have a disagreement, but this is usually, this is one of my little mantras there. Usually when, when it comes down to like Calvin versus Luther versus, you know, the Catholic church and whatever, it's like, you know what? You're right. This is your way. That's my way. But just remember, somebody gets to be right because these are fundamental things, right? I mean, it's, it's just that simple. Either the scriptures are 66 books long or 73 books long. Somebody gets to be right about that. Either purgatory is or isn't true, but one way or another, one, only one of us can be right. We can't have it our way. And, you know, they know where I would be on this stuff. But the point is, is that there's still truth there. You don't have to use it as a club, but you can use it as a reminder. 
Like, okay, you have your logic, and I see where you went. Now I have this logic. You see where I went. In the end, only one of us can get to be right. It doesn't mean we're going to call each other names or have a strained relationship, but that's just the nature of the facts. There is, there, for example, using Calvinism. Calvin believed that there was no free will. Well, okay, despite the contradiction that it's a free will act to conclude that you don't have free will, which is a contradiction, the bottom line is, is either you don't have free will or you do. Somebody gets to be right there. And that's just a, my little approach to reminding everybody of the rigor of reason. There's a logic there. Not everybody gets to be right. Um, I agree I with you 100%. I'll tell you a story that I had in that type of venue. There was a lot. What I found, I mean, Tennessee might be a little different uh, than New Jersey in terms of Protestant churches because – like most people in New Jersey come from immigrants. I mean, folks in Tennessee come from immigrants, but they've been here a lot longer than in New Jersey. I mean, my I'm only here, my family, 100 years. You know, folks in Tennessee might be here, you know, 300 years, 400, you know, a long time. But I can remember most of the guys were fallaway Catholics. And there was this guy, John, an old guy, nice guy. And he was talking about once saved, always saved. You know, that's the big Protestant thing. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I was just like, John, the Bible doesn't say that. You say soul scriptura, the Bible, the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible that's in your hand. What do you mean? Whatever. I said, Next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in that Bible. I'm going to pull out a number of verses that basically tells me and you that that's not right. And I did. I went into the Bible talking about like St. Right. Paul working out your faith and this, this, this. Matthew, right. you have to feed the hungry. Take You know, like, boom, all examples. And I took the paper and I said, John, I told you last, last week, take a look at this. He pushed that paper away from me like I was handing him a stick of dynamite on fire. Frank, I kid you not. He was like, get it away from me. I was like, holy Christopher Columbus. These are statements in the Bible, and right. you don't even want to read them. Right. Well, but I mean, that's right. If, if you think about it, that's right up with the reason stuff. Your, your whole case is reason-driven. But if it's will-driven, like many Protestants it is, right? They, they believe, they don't know. And so when you're messing with that, I don't want to know that. I believe, this is what I believe. And so belief comes before fact. And, and your whole thing would be even using your thing. Okay, I've used, I have scripture versus everything. You believe in scripture. I'm even using your version, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, right? And, and, and it's like, you, you don't want to hear it. Well, it's like, you understand how irrational that is. I mean, it's completely irrational. Yeah, it is. It's totally irrational because it's based on faith and faith to them is belief and belief is a function of will, not a fact. And so that's why we get it. They get it inverted, particularly guys like that. It's like the once saved, always saved kind of stuff. I mean, okay. One of those things that comes up every once in a while at my cigar place. It's like, okay, so like Jesus came down here and he was constantly telling us what we should do better and and be behaving better and have right attitudes and whatever. Why would he tell us that if it's once saved, always saved? That was a big part of what he was down here to do, to teach us how to use our free will better, right? Like how to how to make the right call, how to be the good Samaritan, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And 
you know, it, even without the scripture verses, what do you do with the fact that Jesus came here and was constantly telling us how to be better? You know, a good priest, uh, uh, Franciscan friar of the Renewal, Father Glenn Sedano, he's actually one of um, the original friars who started that order. He's also my wife's spiritual director. He said to me once, um, Joe, when people have issues with the church, and again, I'm using the New Jersey model because a lot of people who are Protestant are fall away Catholics. They, they, you know, that's not the same across uh, America, but in New Jersey, people who sometimes go to different churches, they were once Catholic. That's a, that's a phrase used. I was once Catholic. Okay. That would have been me. I would have, that would have been me from the time I was 19 till I was 35. There you go. I mean, and this was this is what he said. People in the camp that basically have a lot of issues with the church. The church is this. The church is that. The church is this. And to be honest with you, I'm a practicing Catholic. I have I don't necessarily have issues with the church. I have issues with people in the church. I have issues with me, most importantly, because I'm a sinner. But there are things that I don't like, but I believe in all the teachings of the church. And he basically went on to say, those people that are always pointing at issues, under all those issues they're pointing at, there's one underlying issue they're not talking about. And that's the issue that keeps them outside of the church. And I think that's right. Like I could just use an example. Say someone, their wife cheated on them. They got divorced. They got remarried. And now they're in the Lutheran church. You know, they might start picking on the Catholic church. But ultimately, the one issue is the fact that they're remarried. They know that that was an issue. They're not talking about that, though. How do we get to that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, because I think that's the root of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think when we're talking to a lot of these people, obviously you got to be their friend. You got to be a good guy. And I, I think that comes naturally for you, to be honest with you. I mean, anyone who's a practicing Catholic, you know, you got the grace of the sacraments. You're going to be, you know, a nice person, open, joyful. But you got to get to that that wound under all those excuses. You know, that guy, John, maybe he has an issue with the church, something like that. He's not talking about it. He's pointing to everything else. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I think I run into even some of that down here. Uh, not so much following Catholics, but people who are outside Catholicism and looking at it from the outside. And and even internally for me, I mean, one of the a helpful distinction that, that keeps me following the church despite the church is the is the reason and this is i told the the protestant guys at my cigar thing it's like i didn't become a catholic because i like everything the church does i'm a doctrinal catholic because they have the truth the institution that's where it gets a little screwy sometimes that's where priests doing things or people inside the church that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing you know, that's an institutional problem, not a doctrinal problem. And so I believe in the Catholic faith because it's doctrinally solid, no matter how long and how many angles you want to look at it. It's there, and they put it out there so you can do that. If you're going to get upset with, like, something like you were saying, that the case law of uh, marriage and or divorce and remarriage, well, there's a complexity there in the doctrine, but a lot of that still is based on you may not understand how that's nuanced in canon law, for example, or you may not understand how the church has come to that. So for my money, it it always comes back to 
but truth. If I know what the truth of things are, then I can see the degree to which it has gone off or the degree to which I may be off and have to reevaluate and inform myself. And that's why, kind of like we were saying 20 minutes ago about the importance of the catechism and the doctrinal statements and the church, early church fathers, there's so much to be had if you want to be a Catholic really drill down and maybe pointing the ge the gentlemen or ladies that are inclined like the cases that you mentioned to those materials might be helpful or even wading into the complexity okay so like what would be a justified reason to set aside a sacred vow like mayor oh what what could be those reasons is there some is there some references in scripture is there some references in church discipline and, and doctrine and there are they they provide certain exceptions to that and now you're wait, waiting from into the complexity of canon law or case law not so much to lose it but to but to embrace and understand in a deeper and more profound way what that complexity is telling you what is that this is the way the church has set it up from the beginning and how it's developed over time. So now it becomes like a complex thing, not some simple rejection. Now, people can still reject it and go to the Lutheran church anyhow. You know, they're welcome to do that because that's what they're doing, but that's not really the play. Not if you really understand your Catholic faith. You're just looking for a friendly audience. I like how you broke down the institutional issue because that is a very honest and frank way to say it. I mean, like, because I think too many people, including a lot of baptized Catholics, try to like separate Christ from the church. You can't do that. They're the same. It's the head and the body. You cannot separate the two. And you could say like there are institutional issues because all institutions are made up of men. I don't think a lot of people, at least myself anyway, and I grew up probably similar to you, going to church with your parents, local church, parish. I mean, there's not a lot of on fire people there. Like, let's be honest. They're there. I mean, like, like they're there. Yeah, that's the understatement. You know, I'm just trying to be nice. I mean, they're there, you know, they're and true. there are some they're good <laughs> but people have to see like the real deal. Like I always used to say to my wife, like if like the missionaries of charity walked into like a parish in the middle of Tennessee, a, a Catholic parish, Novus Ordo Parish, middle of Tennessee, or the Sisters of Life, their eyes are like saucers. You see the Holy Spirit. They're almost these these women are like glowing. I mean, you know them from the Sisters down in Tennessee. Same oh. type of deal. Yep. People will be blown away. They'll see like some young woman who went to some fancy school like Vanderbilt, and now she's a nun. And you say to yourself, why are you a nun, like the regular person? You have the right. whole world at, at your bit. No, because Jesus is real, and he called me. What? What are you, crazy? Right. I think people have to see that. <laughs> well, they do. And, and, and the degree to which, again, this is where one of the parts I really like from my, that, that still hold over from my Protestant experience is a testimony. Like, as a Protestant, people were always asking Annie and I to share our testimony. As a Catholic, nobody asks because that's just not the deal. But the testimony is kind of like you're saying, the, the really bright young girl who went to Vanderbilt and is now one of the sisters of the National Dominicans. I mean, how does that happen? There's a testimony there. And people can respond to, and this from a guy who's 
Mr. Rationality and deduction and logic and all that stuff. But there's the other side of the fact that God exists is that he's with us. He loves us. Well, love is not something done from afar. And, and when you start asking God to show you things, don't be surprised if he shows you things. And the next thing you know, your life is different. All those schools in my opening bio, I hated graduate school. I had already done a master's in ed psych before I ever became a Christian. There's no way I would have went to, to get all those other degrees if it wasn't for him. And he knew how to use what he put inside me. I would have never done that. And that was, that's part of the testimony. It's like, it's a God who exists, but he doesn't just exist in some distant form. He exists and desires intimacy. He wants you to know that he loves you and that he, because he loves you, you can love him back. I mean, that love is a very tight, intimate bonding between people. It's not some like distant thing from a, a faraway deity. He's a deity who, who, calls you his sons and daughters. That's that's a, a very profound reality. You know, I would agree 100%. Um, you have to have that, you know, Protestants use this personal relationship. But what kind of drove me into the church, again, was Catholic, went to Catholic school, went to church, but it was not like a real thing, um, was I tried things my way and they just didn't work. I was, I had the benefit of this as far as, cause I think my brother is, I would call him, he says he's an atheist, but I'd say he's an agnostic. He's away from the church. I think I'm just more honest with myself than he is. I tried things like when I went to college, a Catholic college, um, my way, uh, you know, like I tried things the way of the world and I fell flat on my face. And basically, I was honest enough to say that what I tried versus the example given to me by my parents, which was my what I tried was completely opposite of that, doesn't work. And Frank, I'll be honest with you. A, a few things keep me Catholic. One is the efficacy of the sacraments. I know when I leave confession that I am forgiven. I feel it. I feel uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, people say, oh, that's psychological. No, it's not. If you eat a meal and you're full and someone says you're not full, you'd be like, you're crazy. I know what I feel like <laughs> that, you know, like I know what it means to receive the Eucharist in a state of grace, which is viaticum, food for the journey. We can't do it without that. So it's the sacraments. But as far as all the church stuff, like no contraception, you know, uh, which is a challenging, let's be honest, people who are married, especially young, that's a big thing, you know, for people, it's a stumbling block. I buy it all and try my best to do it all. I do it in a flawed way because I'm a flawed human, but I buy it all because I know that I'm a disaster without God. That's what keeps me here. And I think I'm honest, like that's like, I'm all in. Because I know without the church and what it lays out, life doesn't work. And I think a lot of agnostics and atheists just aren't honest with themselves. They get involved, we'll use relationships, horrible relationships, and then they just rinse and repeat. You think that you're going to have a different outcome? You're doing the same thing you did the last time. The person just looks different. It's the same result, and you could watch it. We have people in our family. We watch it from a distance, and you're like, here we go again. The same 
nonsense. It's mathematical. It, a plus B is C. It's going to happen again. They're not well, honest with themselves. Right. And if, and if you're still the person you are, doesn't matter where you are, the common denominator in your trouble is you. That's right. A hundred percent. You're right. It is. That is the, that's the truth. You are the, but that comes with an honesty. I think like, you know, right. you were on, you were on Marcus Grodi and I've watched that show time and time again, all different types of people. Scott Hahn, you mentioned the journey home, you know, through Rome. He was a Protestant, even atheists, agnostics. They've been on the show. I think there's just an honesty many times in life. Like you take people who've had serious things that have happened to them, deaths, tragedy, war, you get knocked down. And it, it and in that situation makes you be honest. You can't lie to yourself anymore. You know, like people who have found God in jail or like through suffering or like, I know my, one of my kids, God, uh, he's the godfather of my daughter. He was a He's from his family's from England. No one's Catholic. He got into a car accident. He was in the hospital for two months. He became Catholic after that experience. Two months mangled. You know what I'm saying? Like right. there's yeah. there's an honesty at that point. You know, when you're saying, Oh, I'm an atheist. Really? You're an atheist? You haven't lived. You know what I mean? Like, like right. if something, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that's a way to open the eyes of somebody that words or arguments or even a good discussion can't. Well, I think that's, uh, I mean, it depends on what's going to be your kind of like initial engagement with that person. You know, sometimes they'll talk to you more theological or sometimes more experiential about what's going on. So, and some of that varies. I think over time, if you know a person in this fashion over time, you're going to touch all of those things. You're going to talk about what's gone on in their life, where some of that's coming. Just like as you get to know people, they drop their guard and begin sharing. Um, that's one of the things about these cigar guys is they smoke cigars and they drink a little bit. That means you're up till midnight, 2 a.m. We, we go outside the cigar place and I've been out there till 2.30 in the morning. And all we're talking about is God and their life experiences. And so you do what you can do. Um, and most of these guys are believers, but just because they're believers doesn't mean they're done. You know, they have deeper questions that they're getting to. And that's where some of that sense of the honesty is both honesty about who you are and what kind of character you have. But I think the other honesty is to be able to see and know what reality is. And, and, and that combination of knowing solidly what the reality of goodness is and the purpose and meaning of life is, as well as being honest about who you are characterologically, the way those come together is really, that's both, both a, a kind of a difficult thing to do and, and the light that's going to light your way as well. So you're giving, you, you get both of those things. I mean, that's been my experience with, say, for example, the guys down here in Tennessee is that there's, there's a sense of being honest with themselves and allowing them to kind of bear their soul to some degree. And then also sharing with them a greater sense of the truth, which kind of has a way of building a kind of, more truth, more clarity, more honesty, more truth, more clarity, more honesty, and so that they can move. And that's where both of those things, both your your intellect and your character come together, I think, 
to really bring you along because now you can see the truth, right? I mean, you can be honest with yourself about your character, but you also want to, in, in appealing to that, you want to also know what the truth is. So you become uh, a more honest pursuer of the truth, which enlightens how you critique yourself. You know, it comes down to like your friend. I mean, this is what we have. We have to reach a hand. People have a, a, a misunderstanding of what ecumenicalism is. Like you're having, that's authentic ecumenicalism as defined by Benedict XVI. We're friends. Like, right. like, and this is something people, I think, have to get into a little bit. There's too many camps, even in the church. I go to Latin Mass. I go to Nova Sorna Mass. I don't like you. Ah, bah, bah. What do you mean you don't like me? Like, 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 like what, what well, did I do? I like yet. <laughs> you don't even know me. You know what I mean? Like, like people like have to be friendly. And then you have like, and, and in doing that, I think that could open up because God is the person that ultimately changes a person. Right. But it's through that friendship. You could be friends. Like I have a friend, he's a Jewish guy. I'll be honest with you. Uh, like my friend, Jack, he's coming, he's single. He's coming to my house. I'm married. I got five kids. He's going to be alone on, on uh, Valentine's day. I'm like, Jack, Come down. We'll, we'll eat dinner. Right. You know what I mean? He's my friend. I work right. with him. He's a good guy. Yep. He came to my father's wake. He drove like an hour. It blew me away. Catholics, practicing Catholics don't do that. He <laughs> he did. It was yep. during COVID. Yep. Like, like, that's a beautiful thing. He's my friend. But we right. don't agree on certain things. But that's okay. I right. could still be your friend. You know what I mean? Let God, God's going to do the heavy lifting, you know, and right. that's what you're talking about. And I think that's what people have to do. But just real quick, because we have a couple minutes left, talk about the act of will, will, I think it comes down to that. But you also say this, this act of will is informed and compelled by evidence, right? We got a couple minutes, just talk about that briefly. Well, just it goes back to kind of our earlier where we were at earlier is the need for evidence is evidence that there's a God. One, two, we we should apply our will once we know what the truth is to the degree to which we know it. Right, like a will or a belief or an, a willingness to act on that comes from the fact that we know this is the way it is. Right. I mean, so if we know the way reality is, we can act on it. Doesn't mean that there isn't a developmental component where we're getting more sophisticated, more knowledgeable. But the more we know, the more we can bring that to bear in how we live. And that's where, you know, our, I mean, Jesus comes and he teaches us a bunch of things about the way the world works and how we're supposed to live. Our job, if we accept what he has taken time to tell us is true. And from, from there on out, we're, we're acting upon that. We're letting the truth inform our will. It's not just what I want. It's what the truth is. And because it's the truth, that is what I'll act upon. And that's where the will comes second. It's always fact first and will second. Frank Ronan, tell everyone where they could find you and buy your book, The World According to God, The Whole Truth About Life and Living. Well, uh, it's published by Sophia Institute Press. You can, uh, if you want to support them, which is it's a nonprofit organization, that's great. But you can also buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any other bo online booksellers as well. So it's it's there to be had in, at the 
punch of a couple of buttons. And everyone out there, uh, make sure you check out Frank's articles. They're great. Frank's a very knowledgeable guy, and he's a down-to-earth guy. He's a New York guy. Just because you left, you know, New York and you're in Tennessee, that's that you can't wash that off. No, you can't. That's in the bones. That, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So uh, thank you all for joining us today on the front line with Joe Resinello on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.5 on your FM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And remember... Until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.